Yeah, I'm gonna keep it funky. Like, I I didn't did a a million interviews and podcasts and shit and people that you with people that you know you know, but it's different when dude like knows you knows you. But and that's he's like, but that's gonna be the fun part. <laughs> but see, but that's the so thing. So I'll be all nervous. Nah, <laughs> nah. So actually, good segue because this is an interview. This, this is, is us talking. This is just a conversation okay, amongst friends. Building with the gods, okay. Exactly. This is this is, this is that. But what we're going to do is we're going to figure out how you became the man sitting in front of me. Okay. So it's going to be, you know, we're going to do what we do. We talk about life. About the impact. I'm going to be crying in here. You know what I mean? We're going to talk some real talk. We're just going to see how we got here. Because, you know, okay. you live you live a blessed life. Yes. Like the conversations yes. we was just having. Right, right. Not many can do that. Right? Right. right. I agree. Not many have the tools to do that. Right. I so agree. I want to share some of those tools, like okay. not without, you know, you okay. know, broad, Caref- broad strokes, Carefully. broad strokes, broad okay. strokes, nothing, you know. So, you know, so I'm sitting here, man, we're about to start this podcast. This is episode eight. We still going strong. This man this is, is a the friend. Kobe episode. <laughs> this is the Kobe episode. This is a friend for 25, 25? Yeah, about yeah, 25, about 25 years, years, right? Years. You know, someone I've been on the road with. Yes, you have. Someone I've worked closely with. Been a partner so with. I was about to say, someone you partnered with. Been a partner with. Somebody my kids call uncle. Absolutely. And you my know, kids. Somebody <laughs> I can confide in. Absolutely. Somebody I can ask for help. 100%. A true friend. And, and, and always been a man of his word. Absolutely. Some of us know him as God favorite, God's favorite DJ. Yes. Right? So we're going to jump right into this. And we're going to start something a little bit new. I'm going to have you introduce who you are. I am Brooklyn's finest and New York Giant God's favorite DJ, Clark Kent. Um, man first, humble servant, and uh, uh, just, just just trying to be right with it, period. I mean, well, we take care all, well my, hopefully we all are. Take <laughs> care of my kids and, and my wife and just be happy. But you do a very good job. Bro. I'm, I'm trying. You do a very good <laughs> job. I apologize. It tries a failure. I'm striving. You're striving. Yeah. Ah, okay. So no more trying, striving. No, nah, well, I, I stopped trying a long time ago. I realized that um, uh, when you try, it gives you the ability to make it an excuse if it doesn't work out. And if you strive? If you strive, you know that you, you gave it your best effort, regardless of what. And then if you didn't win, you, you don't count it as a loss. You count it as a learning experience because you'll still try to figure it out. At some, You will make it your business to figure it out. Mm. I mean, shit, words are important, you know. Like, that shit changes a lot. That changes yeah. perspective. It changes your emotions. For sure. Right? It changes how you attack things. Yes. So before we get too deep, let's rewind. Let's take it all the way back. Where were we born? Panama. All right. Came here when I was two months old. I uh, lived in Brooklyn 51 and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Long time. So what was family, like, family life like in Brooklyn for you? Um, for me, um, it, for me, it was fine. Um, I, 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 I'm from, I'm from Crown Heights and, um, when you're young and you're black and you come from the hood, um, life is what it is and things look a certain way and it's not confusing to you because that's just the way it looks across the landscape. So when you see somebody who has a father, it's almost confusing. So, like, we had one guy on the block. I mean, these three brothers on the block. It's funny because one of the the brothers, the oldest brother, his name is Rolando. That's the guy 
that I could blame a lot of how I tried to be on. I, I would look at him and be like, oh, Orlando, I'm going to try to be like this guy. You know what I mean? But he had a father. Mm. And though he had a father, he didn't act different than us who didn't have fathers. We didn't act different than him who did. We just knew he had a father because his father would walk up the street and had, things would change when his father walked up the street. Everybody would straighten up. And we knew it was his father, but it didn't seem like he was different than us. So we didn't think not having a father was weird. And he was the same age as you? No, nah, he looked um, up to him, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I looked up to him, but he taught me something real cool when I was real young. He said, don't look up to me, look at me. Because mm. if, I don't, if I don't do something that's favorable to you, I'll disappoint you. So I learned that when I was like 10. So I never wow. looked up to people after that. I looked at them. So I don't get disappointed with their actions because I accept them for just being people. Mm, and yeah. I think that's what <laughs> that's what kind of like gets me through life the way I get through life. Like there's things that have happened in my life that, you know, another person will be like stupidly ha unhappy about or stupidly mad at somebody and hateful and, and disgruntled with life. I look at it like, all right, what's next? Mm. Because I also learned that being mad takes too long because you have to get mad because when you're born you're happy so that means you have to get mad and then you have to get back to being happy so all of that time i really don't have it so it's very rare that i lose my shit i'm you've probably seen me lose my shit a couple of times but maybe a couple yeah but like i don't like to do it because i think it's just time wasted so i look at things and just i'm cool with being able to go it's over Wait, so you have a choice? You don't have to be angry if somebody does some dumb shit to you? You don't have to automatically call them out and talk shit? Not necessarily, because it, it's almost like I know how to pick my battles because I can look at somebody and, and figure out, is this going to help them if I say something, or is it just going to make a bigger situation for no reason? Like, I'd rather, you know keep it moving and then don't have to think about it no more than to say something somebody doesn't know how to take what I'm saying uh, in, in a good way or in a um, what's the word in a constructive way and then they got a feeling or a ways towards me about something and then I see them another time and they be like you fuck that and I'm like word okay <laughs> again for no reason again because I don't think anything is really that deep. If you're not shooting my parents and my kids, and you know what I'm saying? Like, nothing's really that deep. Because mm. it'll be over as soon as it's over. So it's like, you know. So, But if I get there, then I'm just, like, disappointed. I'm the, I, I don't like to get mad. So so what did this dude do? Like, was he in the hood? Who, he was, Orlando? Yeah. Um, he, was, he was just older than us, and so you just he went to up. school. And he was just super, super cool. And he was like the guy that was respected by the, the killers and the hustlers, but didn't have to be a killer or a hustler. And they weren't going to try him. You know mm. what I mean? So, like, you could get tried in our neighborhood being all of those things, but it's almost like the killers, the hustlers, tough guy, all, the, all of those things. Like, he was just the one guy that you weren't going to try him the same way that others would get tried. So... It, it always bugged me out that all of the killers, all of the pimps, all of the hustlers loved him, 
all of the ones who weren't like that loved him and he walked that line. So I just used to look at him and be like, yeah, he might be the coolest person in the universe. And he's still like my man. And I still look at him in a different way. I'm always like, well, that's Philando. He's older than us. Wait, have I ever met him? Have you ever uh, been to the barbecues? Nah. Nah, okay. Nah. But, um, like, I still look at him like, nah. What's funny is you've met someone at who 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 come, who used to come to the barbecues who was one of the killers on the block mm-hmm. who would look at yeah, Orlando yeah, sure. and be, <laughs> would look at Orlando and be like yeah nah that's Orlando nah that's Wink you know we're not we're not doing nothing with Orlando and what what do you think made him that way though because right because you usually think, have to have that choice like you got to go one way or the other I I think the fact that he didn't make the choice. He was just going to go his way. Like, he was the same dude who was in the disco fever with the killers from our block. And and they were all cool. But he didn't have to be a killer. He didn't have to hustle. He just was, I'm going to finish school. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to move on. I'm going to be something. But he wasn't, like, soft, like, at all. Like, he went to Brooklyn Tech, so I went to Brooklyn Tech. Like, that's how, like... I looked at this guy, I was like, yeah, how do you do it? Like, how did all the girls like you? You know what I'm saying? Like, how did everything just work out for you? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, show me. I mean, and did he? Did he take you under his wing or you did just watch him? The thing was, he didn't really have to take anybody under his wing because our block was like a real family. Like, back in those days, social media was your stoop. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And in my neighborhood, Somebody got robbed every day. Literally every day. Somebody you knew probably, too. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> a lot of people you knew and mothers that you knew. Yeah. And depending on who you were and how the block accepted you, kind of dictated whether something was going to happen to you or happen to your loved ones. So, I mean, you know, I, I was good on my block. So my mother never got robbed. My grandmother's chain never got snatched. Like, nothing ever happened to my brother or my sister. I mean... But that was because I was outside, and I was outside with the the killers and the hustlers and the Rolandos and the and the leader of the Jolly Stompers lived on my block, which was one of the toughest gangs in Brooklyn. But he's like, yeah, that's Ishmael. He's not a Jolly Stomper. He's Ishmael. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, the, uh, our block was like a super family, and Rolando, his father was like a pops without being a pops. Because mm. he was the only one that looked like a pop. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you had the the older older men on the block who never saw or done anything wrong, but they would try to do things for the younger kids on the block to make them uh, not go the wrong way. Because there was a lot of wrong way that you could go yeah. on my block. I mean, I, we all did something <laughs> or things that we probably shouldn't have done. And... um. We had these two guys, Mr. Medford and Mr. Palmer. They were the guys on the block that would be like, hey, come and do this work in my house instead of stealing somebody's chain. Mm. So you would go do the work in the house and get some money. And when you're that young, the only thing you want is sneakers, sneakers. <laughs> or something fresh, a mock neck or some leaves, or a good pair of denims, you know what I'm saying? Like, So he would. there were guys like that on the block who would try to do stuff with the younger kids and then there were also the, the hustlers who would be like, yo, sell this weed over here. <laughs> yo, take this up the street to such and such. And, you know, you get money that way. And, you know, the thing was, we would look at the older guys and we'd want to um, 
emulate them somehow without trying to actually be like them. So like Rolando, Ishmael, uh, Greg, Greg Cox, and uh, pause, uh, uh, Choo Choo, Pratt. Those are like the older I remember OG. Pratt. Yeah, you I met Pratt. Yeah, I know Pratt. Yeah. Real mm-hmm. deal guy. Anyway, those were the older guys on our block, and there was something about them that was, you know, different. Like, they always had the super bad shit. Mm-hmm. And we'd be like, how? Well, we're like nine and ten, so it's like, why are we even thinking that way? But still, it was like, how? Mm-hmm. And a couple of them had cars, and the cars were super cool, and anytime time the car pulled up, Jane Kennedy got out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A girl that yeah. looked like Foxy Brown got out, and we'd be like, "How?" You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. And so, all right. So there's Lando. What are the other influences around you as you start to kind of find yourself as you become older? Um, I think the 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 the. the and I ask this because that dude you saying mm-hmm. reminds me so much of how you move now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, like, I, I almost don't know if there's anybody else. He might have been, like, that blueprint mm-hmm. for how you shaped who you are. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Because everything you said about him, how he moves, who he knows, the respect mm-hmm. that he gets mm-hmm. is yeah. something that since I've known you, <laughs> you've always not just not demanded in a bad way, but knew that that's how it's supposed to go. Right. You know? And and you got that respect from everybody. You've, you've always been able to move like that, right? Uh, yeah. I, I I would have to say, like, yeah, I would look at him and go, yeah, like, again, like, he's the one who taught me not to look up to people. So when I thought maybe I was looking up to him, like, he nipped it in the bud, and he gave me a good reason to nip it in the bud. But he didn't give me a good reason to not want to be cool like Mm -hmm. him and i just wanted to be cool and it was like him but i also wanted to be cool like ishmael and i also wanted to be cool like greg and i also wanted to be cool like choo choo and i also wanted to be cool like like jonathan jonathan pratt because there was another side of cool that Mm -hmm. i was cool with Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying and so that 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 those 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 all of those elements of of cool got got burned into me and it was just by being around guys who didn't go get away from me shorty mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying because that could easily happen too and i learned that too like so when a young kid was in our neighborhood and i was older i wasn't like get away from me shorty mm-hmm. i was yo how's school what are you doing da 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 because that's where Rolando was right Rolando was like yeah you can be cool we're gonna we're gonna play skelly we're gonna play skipball we're gonna play Basketball, football, we're going to go. We're going to take you all to the park. What your grades look like? It mattered to him. You know what I'm saying? He was the one that it mattered to. He, it mattered to him to check on his brothers. Like, yo, what your grades look like? Even though they're like one and two years younger than him, it mattered to him mm. to, yo, do something. Don't don't, don't be one of these. these you, you see you over there hanging you with such and such? Don't, don't fucking be like that. You know what I'm saying? And. You, you heard it, even though you were still standing over there being just like that. You still heard it, and at some point, it, it kicked in, and it was like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't be running the streets that way. You know what I mean? Maybe I just shouldn't. But, you know, um, we also had a guy on our block who had a DJ set, and my uncle also had a DJ set. 
And the guy who on the on the block where the DJ said will be DJing, and we'd be like, "Yo, teach me how to," and he'd be like, "No." <laughs> so when my uncle, when I realized my uncle had a DJ set, I'm like nine, and I was like, "What? What is this?" He wasn't even a DJ. He, I was like, "What is this?" And he was like, "You know, when you listen to the radio and the two records are playing at the same time." He told me it was mixing, and I was like. There's a guy up the street, he got all of that stuff, and we asked him about it, and he didn't want to tell us. He was like, well, you could use it. and But he couldn't teach me because he didn't know how. Mm. So I had to learn how myself. Was this before the blackout, or was that after the blackout? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was, I was, it was uh, before the blackout. Oh, so you was already looking at it. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah for she sure. was already, so you no, already caught the bug before. No, you you okay. have to understand, like, when I was five, I... I noticed that my grandmother would come home every day and play this record. And then one day, I just watched her play the record, and I tried to figure out how did she make the record play. And then I did it one day, and she got happy about the music coming on. But she was like, who did that? And I was like, it's like five or six. And she just would s got so happy that the music came on. So every day, I was like, I put the record on. But I'm, I'm the shit that mystified the shit out of me the most was, how is this record playing music? But then I was like, then I was like, it doesn't matter. Grandma's happy. And um, if anybody knows me, knows me, my grandmother's the most important person I've ever met. And I lived with her in Crown Heights. Like, she's the one who raised me. Um, and I would just keep playing the records for her. And I noticed that playing music for her made her happy. I mean, I felt great because I was controlling the music that made my grandmother happy and then i realized i just wanted to keep playing the music but it wasn't because i wanted to control it it was because i liked it so much i liked the actual music and then my mother's an opera singer so there was always music in the house but i loved the music so you love you love the music first or did you love I the reaction the i loved the music first but then okay. the reaction of my grandmother mm -hmm. off, off of the music was like some other shit i was just like my grandmother's happy you know what i'm saying she's my grandma she's my favorite person in the whole world she's happy i just want to keep making her happy with the music and then she she kind of bugged out that i was playing every single record in the house at, at one point just like playing things i'm six seven eight and i'm just playing everything and then the radio come on and i'm just sitting there listening to it because i just love the music my mother's singing i'm like oh the, the the opera music is on i'm i'm loving it she's listening to beethoven and bach and i'm loving it and she's like it's crazy that you just like all of this stuff i'm like yeah i do like country music rock music folk music like i just loved the music and then my uncle had this set. Like, he had, like, amazing sound system and didn't know how to DJ. So from five, when you started playing, until you saw that DJ set, yeah. you continuously played her records? Yeah, or? I played her records. I played every record that came in the house. Like, every record that came in the house, I just would play it. So I was going to ask you, what was the first love, music or sneakers? Oh, music. Music. For right. sure. And, and I don't love sneakers. I like it. I, I love being fresh more than I love sneakers. That's True. what it is for me. The shit is about being fresh. Like, what these kids are into is, is nowhere near congruent to what I'm into. Like, I went to a, a polo factory store yesterday and spent what would have been the equivalent of $3,000 on polo shit because I love polo clothes. And they had shit that I've never seen before. I was 
confused. Like, where is all of this shit? Where was all of this shit? And, you know, I'm a dude who every day gets online and checks polo.com, checks Macy's.com, big and tall section. I check Rochester, big and tall. I check DSL, DXL every day. Like, what's new coming out with polo? What's new coming out with polo? What's new coming? Because I'm a polo fanatic. I like fresh gear. Like, I've been on it. Like, no. None of this shit that we that these kids are talking about and this shit you see on all these vlogs, none of this shit is new to me. Like nothing. Like I'm I look at it and I think, Y'all ain't doing it for what we was doing it for. Oh no. I looked I'm, I'm telling you, the freshest motherfucker in the world that I've ever seen is a guy named Bourne from my neighborhood. Like mm-hmm. Bourne Bourne was Bourne was the freshest motherfucker on the planet. And he was from our block. And every time he wore some shit, I'd be like, what? What? And he always had super bad girls. So I always thought that the way he presented himself, the way he dressed and what he was wearing and having shit that nobody had is the reason he had all of these girls. Mm. That's what you just believe. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a kid. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, so my shit was about being fresh. So, like, at nine, I'm buying sneakers so I could be fresh. At nine. Yeah, because we So with the money you're making. Yeah, yeah. With the money you're making doing whatever that you're doing, mm-hmm. you you go buy sneakers and and if you if your sneakers are brand new, it looks fresh. Yeah. So every week we did something to make money to buy sneakers. And so at, at nine. At nine, yeah. Because right. because we were disenfranchised, so you really couldn't like ask your moms like my need mm-hmm. ten dollars every week. <laughs> nah, it sounds stupid to her. You know what I'm saying? It sounds stupid to my grandmother, but they would go, where you get all these sneakers from? Oh, well, we work for Mr. Medford. Oh, I work for Mr. Palmer. Get on the tr- on the on the bus, 50 cent. This is how long ago it was. <laughs> bus was 50 cent. <laughs> go down to Glenwood Flea Market, buy a pair of Hocats for $9. Risk your life getting back. You got a fresh pair of sneakers. And, and that happened like every week because every week Mr. Medford and Mr. Palmer tried to keep us away from doing something that wasn't right. Yeah, I talk about it now. It's, it's crazy how people. I was at uh, I was at Hype Fest, and I was liking it to being in a movie, mm-hmm. right? And you're walking around, and everybody there is playing a character that's supposed to be cool, right? Like, because if you took away the internet, would everybody dress like that? No, right? Because they wouldn't have a reference point, right? They wouldn't have something that they could copy, right? And I try to tell people the difference in the way we shop, right? We were all cool, right? Right? Mm-hmm. We were all fresh. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't because we dressed and wore the exact same thing. We was trying to do something different. We was trying to do something different, right? right? Maybe the same brands, maybe the same this. But I remember going into a sneaker store, looking at the walls and going, all right, my homie I'm with got those on. My other homie got those. You got those. (laughs) Give me those. I'm giving me those, yo. (laughs) Right. And then give me those laces, give me that, give me this fit. And now I'm me. Right. Now it's it's like, no, I'm assimilating. Right. I'm wearing the uniform that says I'm cool. Right. I have the now, I have this, and now I'm okay. Right. Right? It's so crazy. And shit shit looks crazy, too. And shit looks crazy. Some shit, they, I I tend to think that 75% of these kids are colorblind. I don't know if it matters to them because whatever on trend thing is happening. Yo, just because it's on trend doesn't mean it should be worn. To people <laughs> like us, right. which is who understand real fresh. Well, because real fresh to us was what them hustlers was wearing. Mm-hmm. See, like if if somebody like 
when people say, oh, uh, DJ Clark, Clark Kent is considered an influencer, I will never call myself an influencer. You ask me, the influencer that I saw was Hustler. We wanted to dress like Hustlers. That's it. We wanted to dress like Hustlers. Like, they damn near introduced everything to the hood. And yep. then they all look different. But yep. they all look fresh, so it was on us to be figuring out how are we going to get that thing. And it was all the hustlers. Well, because they were the people being able to get out of the hood because they got the money to go and do that. Exactly. Right? And then they would bring it back. Right. And Ooh. show you shit can be different. You don't have to go to Utica Avenue and shop in the same store that everybody else shops in and get the same colored leaves with the pinstripes that everybody got. And then all of us wearing the same shit on any given day. You know what I'm saying? And it, it was just... It was different. It was way different. Yeah. And and the world that is in, in, incredibly small was extremely big back then. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it just looked different everywhere. So you would go somewhere like the Bronx and be like, damn, well, they dress totally different. Completely. Yeah. And then be like, I'm going back to Brooklyn where we really dress fresh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's just the way that shit happened. <laughs> so when did you start getting out of your hood and taking or or music or whatever it was that took you out of the hood? What was um, I used to go to my uncle's house all the time, and uh, they used to live in Edenwall, in the Bronx. So that's where I would go to learn to play them records. And and what records were you playing back then? Everything he had. Everything he had, I just was playing them, and I was trying to figure out the mixing thing. And once I figured it out. It was it was gonna be trouble. And so, at what age were you like, I want to be a DJ, or I want to or I want to play records for people and be heard? Um, I think that might have happened when I was like eleven, because I actually played a, a a party with my uncle's sound system for my uncle and his friends when I was like eleven, and everybody thought I played well except for this one lady, and she was just bitchy, and I and I swear to God I took that shit to heart so bad. And I told my uncle, and he's like, let me ask you something. Like, he was real cool about it. He's like, how was everybody else? I was like, everybody else was dancing, but she just kept bitching. He was like, how did you feel? Oh, I felt great, but every time she said something other, he was like, if everybody's having a good time except this one person, why did you pay attention? And I was like, well, she was with it. He was like, you can't make everybody happy. Mm. And I was like, It's supposed to be that simple, <laughs> but it was that simple, and I learned that lesson when I was eleven. Eleven, and it never left me. And as a DJ, that's a great lesson to learn for sure, especially at an early age. <laughs> for sure, <laughs> because it, it's impossible to make everybody. You might your your mission might be to make everybody happy, but I let that stop being my mission when I was like twelve, thirteen. Like I. I was I just really when he first said it, I was like, OK, but I wasn't playing a, a party the next week. And then the next time I played, I might have still had the, the thought. But then after that, I was just like when I played Lincoln Terrace Park with Grandmaster Flowers and I realized you're 12. Like the park is going crazy. You don't even give a fuck if somebody likes it or not, because mm -hmm. you're doing something that ain't no 12 year old is doing. You playing in Lincoln Terrace Park where you could get killed with Grandmaster Flowers right next to you. Yeah, fuck what anybody thinks. 
And then I was just like, yeah, I, I can't make everybody happy, but I can make myself happy playing records. So now you're playing records in the park, mm-hmm. in the jams, mm-hmm. at 12. Yeah. Most 12-year-olds are... Can't go to the jam. Can't go to the jam. Most 12-year-olds are in the crib, but where, where I live, like I said, it was really, really a family. And uh, you could be outside till 2, 3 in the morning because the family was taking care of it. The block took care of itself. Our block really took care of itself, which is incredible because you didn't have nobody's mother screaming at them to come inside. Mm. You know, if your mother calls you to come inside, that means you didn't do something. You got chores to do? Something. You just didn't <laughs> do something. So, like, if you knew you were supposed to wash the dishes or whatever, wash the dishes. You ain't going to get called inside. If you don't, you're going to get called inside. You're going to get embarrassed. You're going to get called inside. That's that. Was there a specific jam or anything that made you go, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? It was that that day. It was that one. Lincoln at Terrace. 12. Lincoln Terrace. I, right after, I ran home. It was, it had to be like 11, 11 o'clock. Lincoln Terrace was two blocks from my house. But Grandmaster Flowers is Grandmaster Flowers. It's two blocks away from the house. And he let me play on his set. And I came home and I was like, Grandma, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing. I'm going to be a DJ for the rest of my life. And she was like, okay, babe. <laughs> but then she turned and said, just finish school. I was like, all right, that's it. <laughs> you know, because me and my mom was cool, but me and my grandmother was super tight. So when she said something, I wanted to make sure I did whatever she asked me to do. So I was like, that's it? Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, that, that sounds easy, you know? But, I could you know, do that. Yeah, I could do I could finish school for you. It's all good. Were you good in school? Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I was bright. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... I mean, I've always learned, I've felt most people that can move around and navigate the mm-hmm. streets, school mm-hmm. is usually very easy. Yeah. It's a choice on whether they want to accomplish. Whether you're going to go or not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I, and my thing was I, I didn't want one day for my grandmother to say, um, you can't do that because you didn't do this. Mm. And I didn't want to hear her, like, I didn't, I didn't want her to try to take that away from me because I didn't do that so i kind of figured out quick what makes parents punish you in the way that they punish you is because they ask you to do something and you didn't but they they look at what you value and then they try to take it away Mm -hmm. to get you to do it yeah it doesn't necessarily work that way now for kids Mm -hmm. but back in the days that shit worked yeah (laughs) you can't tell me i can't play no music that doesn't even make sense so I didn't want to be told that, so I did what she asked. Made it happen. So now you're 12. Mm-hmm. Your aspirations to be a DJ. What was the plan? What was the goal? What was? <laughs> were you had? You have these big dreams all of a sudden at 12. Like the thing is, like, and we got to give context, yo. Hip hop was not anywhere close to where <laughs> nah, nah, we nah. are at right now. Nah. There I mean, are I, there aren't like fifty thousand other DJs nah, nah. playing all these festivals nah, and everywhere else. Nah, there were, there wasn't really <laughs> none of that really going on. If you heard of a DJ, that DJ was was becoming famous because he was like one of the only ones around. So, and heard of we're talking about like the five boroughs. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, yeah, heard we're of. not even talking about like, heard of outside of yeah, that just, right now. Just Shit, out in a goddamn neighborhood. Maybe not even the five boroughs, because maybe Staten like Island didn't even know like, about it. Yeah, this. your borough. <laughs> if you were heard of in your borough, you were something. So Grandmaster Flowers was something. Um, 
Pete DJ Jones was something like knowing and meeting and, and dealing with these people and have being introduced to Larry Levan when I'm a kid. Like that, those are, you, you know, like things that when they happen, you're like, yeah, cool. But when you look back and then you look at who these people actually really what they meant, you're like, wait a minute. That was like Uncle Larry. Like he's not regular Larry. He's yeah, he's the greatest DJ ever. But did I know that when it was happening? You know what I'm saying? When I was meeting him and I was a kid, I don't necessarily know if I knew that then. But you know, times going by, and I'm like, nah, he's the best I've ever heard. And what was he at? He was the the garage. garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't want to mess that one up. And tons of which is Prada store on Broadway now, right? No, it was no? um, it was the the New York Telephone Building on King Street. Oh, what was the product? What was it? Didn't Larry DJ at that spot too? What was the spot yeah, you told me I was on Broadway? What was it called? Um, I can't remember what it was called. The one uh, was on that? Was, I thought that was Paradise Garage. No, no, Paradise Garage was on King Street. On King Street, I'm sorry. Yeah, and oh, this is all way before my time, so I'm yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> King. That that was that was a special moment. That going to the garage was crazy, but going to the garage and being in the booth with this guy who was playing like the most amazing music ever like this being in his presence and hearing him play and what he played is probably one of the most important things that happened to me because he taught me my best musical listen i mean met lesson and he said uh he was like you you have to love the music and I was like, well, I already love music. And he was like, I understand, but you have to love the music to be great. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I think I should be all right soon because I really love the music. And I, and again, like I, I tell it to people all the time, like I really like to DJ. And I think I'm a pretty good DJ, but I think all of those things line up because of the way I care about the music. I love music, mm -hmm. all of it. In an elevator, some shit could be playing, and I'm listening. Like, it, it, it almost becomes a pain in the ass to my wife because mm. I hear everything. I mean, but that just, to me, sounds like you're in tune with your purpose. Right. Like, you're in tune with what you were put here to do. For sure. It's natural. Mm -hmm. Whereas you see a lot of other people, it's contrived, it's an attempt, it's trying to do something that they think will make them successful. Right. And famous. Right. And all these other things. Like, like that's <laughs> the funny thing. I think most people don't know about you. You can strip away any of the fame or whatever you want to call it, you know, being noticed, anything like that. As long as you could just play music for people and see yeah, people dance. That's my shit. Like, you could give a fuck about anybody calling you an influencer, liking sneakers, yeah. <laughs> the sneaker guy, whatever the fuck else it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, if you go back to as long as I've been DJing, It'd be hard to find flyers with my face on it because I didn't care about that. I cared about when you walked away, you could go, what you heard was the shit. Like, even when it became popular to be on social media and people were putting flyers together for all kinds of shit, I was just like, like, Facebook happened. I never got on Facebook because I was just like, fuck the face. These hands, you're going to know. You're going to learn today. You know what I mean? So it was about playing the records and, and, and giving people... A, a journey, a musical journey every time I played so that you walked away and go, yeah, he might be one of the best I've ever heard. That's what I want. I want you to walk away and go, he's one of the best I've ever heard. 
See, I feel like most people want to walk away going, I got paid to do this. Nah, fuck Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> or, like, I can't believe I'm doing this and all I do is playing music and all. Look at these silly people. Nah, I, 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 I <clears> tell people this all the time. It's not hard to make money. It's hard to keep money. Mm-hmm. So if I can make money easily, the hard part is keeping it. So I'll figure that part out while I'm over here playing this music. And, it, you know, I don't have to be... I get paid well to DJ and I get paid well to DJ because I really, really work hard at being a respected and good DJ and I know my worth. So I get paid well. Are there DJs who get paid more? Sure. Do I want to be one of those guys? Not necessarily because they're not actually DJs. So I want to be known for DJing because I actually DJ. You know what I mean? These guys who are throwing their hands in there while their mixes are happening and getting paid a hundred thousand, it might be cool to get it, but I look at it and I think, mm, oh, that's not you. Yeah, it's not me. Yeah. So I'd rather be playing and taking the the trip. I, let let let's go. Let's musically have a good time. That's that's what it is for me. Like all this other stuff is just other stuff. I mean, but that's the world we're in now, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much other stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just extra shit that's unnecessary for sure what was the first dj name and then how'd you get to clark kent it's funny because the first dj name was clark kent mm -hmm. because the kids called me clark kent because i wore glasses mm -hmm. and they made fun of me cool then at some point i was also writing graffiti and i was writing blink so i tried that dj blink no go right back to clark kent but then <laughs> one day i tried grandmaster blaster <laughs> and it was the worst shit ever. And Why? my boys, I, w I was DJing for a group called the Hypnotic Force, and they put it in a rhyme, and uh, we did a park jam, and it was and Grandmaster Blaster, cut faster. And I was like, okay. So I did the routine, I cut faster, and then right after it was over, I was like, clock in, go right back to that <laughs> shit. For real. Like, <laughs> it, just, it didn't feel right. No, no, it was terrible. I, I was Grandmaster Blaster for two weeks. If that long, <laughs> but they put it right into a a, a, um, a routine, and we did a jam, and the and the way they put it in routine, like what I did was amazing. I just was like, this is fucking a terrible name for this. Yeah, yeah, I, that one wouldn't have fit. No, no, I, no, yeah, I couldn't imagine being Grandmaster Blaster at fifty. Nah, that shit would have just sounded stupid. <laughs> so it's funny because Just Blaze knew that, and I was like, how the fuck do you know that shit? Like, that guy. Come on, bro. No, I don't. Yo, come on, though. No. <laughs> but he's, he's, you know him. He's one of those guys. He's, yeah, but Because he, he's the guy who had, that's how me and he and I got really close. He's the guy who had all the technology shit. I'm the editor. I'm the lifestyle editor at The Source. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, the lifestyle technology editor at The Source. He's getting shit before I'm getting it. That's crazy. <laughs> he's knowing about shit at Nokia and Motorola and all these companies, asking if I have samples yet, if I have this and that. That's crazy. So he's that guy. He'll find shit. And he knows, he likes to know all that shit. Yeah, he definitely does. You know I, I love Just. He's, yeah. he's one of my... my I know why. I know he's boys. one of those guys, same yeah. way. Like, I can't wait to have him on here also. Like, But he's one of those guys like you that it's the music. Right. It's, yeah, it's definitely you, the music. You know what I'm saying? Like, he'll sure. go, and he could have this conversation and go hours and hours. I'm sure you guys mm -hmm. can go song to song. Yeah, for sure. On a lot. <laughs> We've done it a lot. I'm sure. Right, um, so what was high school like, man? So you, you DJing now, you yeah, know, yeah. you're moving. Uh, I'm DJing. You're fresh? Uh, I'm very, 
You're fresh, fresh, right? Uh, and and there's other things happening, man. It's yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's all kinds of stuff happening. Um, I went to Brooklyn Tech, and then um, I was I was a little rough mm-hmm. in Brooklyn Tech, and um, we was writing graffiti. We was just we were carrying guns to school. It was just dumb. We were doing a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I know <laughs> I know you don't like to glorify these parts, right? Man, nah. But it's but it's also like it's important because it's the makeup of who you are, yo. Mm-hmm. And because a lot of people get caught up in the wrong choices, mm-hmm. and they think they have to do those things. Nah, and they think have they have to. to continue to do those things, nah. right? And then they fall into the wrong spots. For sure. Well, uh, we we were doing a lot of uh, things that we we didn't need. Like you don't need a gun in in ninth grade. You you don't. And we were carrying guns at school and um. Just doing ill shit. And then uh, one day, I might have went too far. Not with a gun or nothing like that, but I might have went too far and got in trouble. And then, uh, you know, mother gets called and everything, whatever. It's going out of whack. But I think that was the moment where my mother was like, this is enough. And then, um, like I said, I went to Brooklyn Tech, so it's Smart kids schools, mm-hmm. but I was but but I also was, but one I of the largest schools. Yeah, but so, but I was, I was rough back then. I was mm-hmm. I played football, I played basketball, and I ran the streets. And Rolando went to the school, so I'm just oh, like, so I'm guys, good. So Rolando's good. a senior, and I'm a freshman, so like I'm being tough with a tough guy who's not really a tough guy. He's just no one's gonna fuck with Rolando, and I'm his little man's. So. Nick, motherfuckers didn't want to have a goddamn thing to say to me, so I abused everything. And then um, one day, a recruiter from a school, a, a school for uh, so-called gifted kids that were a little, you know, on the edge from a boarding school, came and was like, well, who's the kids that you think would benefit from our program? We're giving scholarships. That means, yeah, him, the Franklin boy. Yeah, he's out of his fucking mind. Because I was compared to a kid in another school, like I'm, I'm comparable to the kid who was in his own school, mm. but I was doing it at this school, so mm-hmm. it was just like heightened. And so, it's funny because my main man, who was in the school with me then, who's still really cool with me, like he finished. I'm looking at that shit like, how did that happen? He was just as wild as I was. And but he got to stay. <laughs> he got to stay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they didn't tell the kid. They just told your parents. So mm. they go to my mom and like you have this opportunity and then she was like yes. S- the next summer's coming and tenth grade is coming and and then um she's like my her and my grandmother packing stuff in a a trunk like and I'm like oh shit y'all just got me new stuff like nigga don't buy me nothing. <laughs> don't buy me nothing like my grand my mother <laughs> didn't buy me nothing back then because I was getting it I was yeah, getting yeah, it yeah. so I was getting it myself. I was just like, shit. I'm like, what? Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna go somewhere. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Why are we taking that? No, I just want to show, take you somewhere. It was a Saturday. We drove up to this place upstate New York, and they're like, you're gonna go to school here. What the fuck? What do you mean I'm going to school here? What? <laughs> they hit you like that? Just, wow. <laughs> Tragedy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they, so your they life left is upside me. down. My life is totally different. All right. Because 
it's a bunch of rich kids and 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 smart kids and 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 like you know like spoiled kids but i'm this one kid from the hood and because you know over time because i was from the hood and because when you're disenfranchised you think a different way you think survive you don't think yeah i'll be fine you think mm-hmm. survive so mm-hmm. I became I became oh, I the guy at mm. the school. I'm like, well, all you motherfuckers are gonna do what I say. But um, I also realized that if I don't get it together, I'm never gonna get back home. So mm. I did the rest of my school in there, and like weird shit happened. Like I was I was a uh, 14, and in New York we used to wear combat boots, and I went up there steel and toe joints, yeah. steel toe joints, and I'm wearing my steel toe joints, and everybody's clowning me. And I'm like, I don't get clowned. <laughs> <laughs> but I was getting clowned by all the kids, and they're all wearing these construction boots. And they're like, yeah, you're going to be cold. And I was like, fuck y'all. Y'all are going to be cold. And they were like, <laughs> no, you're going to be cold. Up here, you're going to be cold. And I was like, what are those? And yeah, everybody's wearing Timberlands. And I was like, what the fuck are Timberlands? So I got clowned. But so now after a while, I was mad because I was getting clowned. So I, I go into Bennington, Vermont, and I get myself a t- pair of Timberlands, and I'm comfortable. But then it's um, about to be Christmas break, so now I got to go home with these boots. So I go home, and everybody at home is clowning me because I got construction <laughs> boots on. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I thought, and and for, I swear to God, 14, um, this is like 82, something like that. Am I 14? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, now it's 80. There were no Timberlands in New York. That's crazy. But I'm wearing Timberlands. Wait, but no Timberlands in New York. No, I mean, there were Timberlands. I know, but not. Black people didn't wear Timberlands. So it was like, fuck are you doing? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So I had to tell people my story, and they were like, you look corny. (laughs) So I was getting clowned. (laughs) <laughs> then I so I still had to go back up to to, to school, but I felt cool there because that's where I was at the most. But I was clowning in New York. Two years later, everybody in New York's wearing Timberlands. I'm like, did I do that? <laughs> did, did I do that? Because y'all clowned me. You clowned the fuck out of me. The funny part is, anybody who really knows Timberlands history in New York City knows they didn't wear the construction boots. Mm. They wore beef and broccolis first. Mm, so field boots was first. Field boots was first, but I had already was been wearing construction, construction. boots. So <laughs> then that year when the, when the field boots started, I brought field boots back up to the school and looking at everybody like, fuck y'all. My Timberlands <laughs> better than all y'all because now I feel cool at home, but now I feel cool here because I got Timberlands and this should set everything and now we should good. all be even now. Right? We're cool? <laughs> yeah, but this was wow. But I went to the school upstate, and um, uh, I had a DJ set, so I was comfortable. <laughs> as long as, and, but I played at every school function. That every wait, but, school. Wait, wait, but you had your DJ set. Yeah, I took your parents packed the DJ, or when you went back, when you I got went back, it. I brought it. Okay. Back. Yeah, I brought right. turntables, mixer, amplifier, and speakers back with me. It wasn't a crazy set, but it was what I had, and um, I brought it back and. I just was like, there's no way that I'm going to be staying up there and not have a DJ set. Mm. So I couldn't not be DJing. So because the word got around from school to school, from boarding school to boarding school to this college to that, uh, Rensselaer Polytech, um, 
Albany, uh, all the schools in Upper New York. I started playing all the parties for him. Mm. I'm like, fuck it, I'm from New York. I play better than all of y'all. <laughs> you know, that was my shit. Like, if I'm from New York, I definitely play better than y'all. So it was like, oh, that's the New York boy. Emma Willard was an all-girls school. It was girls. It's enough for me. I'm playing. I'm there. Yeah. So I played at the all-girls school. I played at the school that Bill Cosby's daughter went to, Northfield Academy. Um, I, I played at everything in that area. So enterprising, to say the least. Yeah, I wasn't really getting paid like that, though. But I was playing. But I had to. <laughs> I, I, had I to mean, but you was getting paid in awareness. Absolutely. You was getting paid yeah, in. Yeah, I was getting paid in. You're going to know who it, the fuck I am. You was getting paid in practice. For sure. How to rock. For sure. Right? right. Yeah, and then I was getting paid in. Oh, we always won, honey. Yeah, learning to know your worth. Right. Understand. For That's sure. That's a lot of gems. Yeah, for sure. For That's sure. I would go home and play for money when I got home. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, I'm, you know, I play all the jams in town. I mean, up, up, upstate New York. So, But that probably puts your confidence in a whole other place, right? Because at first, you was like, I'm fish out of water. The fuck am I doing up here? Yeah. Now I'm high in demand. And yeah. not only am I high in demand, I was the uncool dude because I wasn't wearing Tim's. Yeah, but, like but now I'm the guy playing the music and everybody needs me. Right. So it, it, it worked. All the things worked itself out. Um, I never even looked back at it like that. But I guess that is a way to look at it. Um. My mission was finish and go home. So every break, when I went home, I was in a club or I was at a party. I was doing something where I could be DJing because I wanted to be home so bad that I that I was trying to excel in school. <laughs> I was trying to be amazing at school so I could go home. Like I, I just did everything so I could just be home and feel my, my New York self. Did you make any like long life friends? I mean, lifetime friends after that school? Is anybody you still only one? Only one. Only one. Yeah. And you still talk to them? Yeah, yeah. I got a friend named Dale. That's be tight. <laughs> well, w well, we were tight. I should say. Well, I mean, but still, that's, yeah. You know, it's a whole yeah, different, sure. right? Yeah, for sure. Because, because again, sometimes when we get taken out of our comfort zone. Right, right. We shut down mm -hmm. on certain things, and we try to block that out. Like you said all you saying about is getting home. Right. I was. Uh, <laughs> you know, but that also helped you navigate through. A sea of things you've never done before. For sure. Be around people you've never been around. For sure. Yeah, I like I, I went to school with the son of the owner of Suzuki. I went to school with the son of the the, the prime minister of Ma I mean the, the president of Malawi. The, I went to school with the wait, who was this other guy? There were so many, like, uber-rich kids there. It was bananas. Like, it was bananas. But look at the things you do now. That all plays in line with that. That was all preparing you for that. You, yes, that's you've cool. played for princes and sultans and CEOs yeah. and executives and founders and for all sure. of that. For sure. For sure. Right? I, get, I, get I mean, isn't that funny how shit kind of just happens? Yeah, and it, it definitely does. Music's an amazing tool. <laughs> I mean, but, but trust is an amazing tool. Right. Mm -hmm. And confidence is an amazing tool once you have that trust in yourself. Right. Right. And a lot of for times sure. we're not again, we're not given a a, a a roadmap or there's no ways for life. Right. No, I don't know. there's no like, <laughs> all right, this is my destination. This is my goal. And I can type that in and an algorithm is going to get me there. Right. No, there's none of that. Right. Shit. It takes a lot of hard work, a for lot sure. of discipline, but also it takes paying attention and being present and then trusting in who you are. Mm -hmm. All right. And listening. Right. Right. And then building on that shit, which a lot of people get stuck with, man. Yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. A lot of, I think the reason why people get stuck is because 
the people around them are stuck. True, but you could have said that about growing up in Crown Heights. Those people are stuck, right? Yeah, a lot of people from the outside would look at those kinds of people. But what I'm saying is the people who get stuck, based off of the people around them that get stuck, are basing what they do mm-hmm. on what they do and what the, uh, those other people do. I never based what I did or what I was going to do on what everybody else in my hood was going to do. Like, I was, I just wasn't, I, I didn't necessarily um, worry about what the next person was going to do. I was just trying to figure my life out. I can't figure everybody's life out. True. So I had to figure mine out. And if if it, if if it's cool and, and what you're doing can fit into what, where I'm doing over here, I, I, by all means, come on. But if not, do not, by any means, try to hinder my progress because I'm going to progress. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And if you're not okay with that, then you should probably go do something else or, or go hang out with somebody else. Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a good way to put it. So so after high school, mm-hmm. you get out, mm-hmm. what happened? You went to college. college. What did you go to college? Boston. I went. Mm. I went to. Uh, yeah, I went to Emerson. And so, what was college life like? Quick. Quick. Yes. What do you mean? I stacked four year program in three years. And Get graduated out. and got that's out. That's it. Yeah, but why? I played heavy. Like that's the reason why I got so much love in Boston is because I played all the clubs, all of them. Every time I could, I had time to play. I played. I mean, I know RSO when they first started because. I was out there playing. I know John when he started the sauce because the sauce because he went to the same school. Like I know these guys and everything that happened in Boston firsthand because I was there and I was playing all the time. Like if you meet G Spin, G Spin might say like he's copied sets. He might say that. He might say, "Oh, I know Clark from when I was a kid because I was in his." neighborhood DJing where he was DJing when he was a kid. And so the focus was just music and get, get the out, fuck out. Get the fuck out. To do what? So I can come back home and get right to it. But why didn't you just go to school in New York then? Because they didn't have the, the thing that I was trying to do. I, I, mass Communications, it was an amazing school for Mass Communications. And again, like I wanted my grandmother to be happy. Mm. So I did it. Like I, I was so intent on not being there that I I really stacked my program so that I could get out in three years. I was you 20. stacked your program. How you DJing everywhere and getting grades to graduate? Because I was, I was, I was quick. I was, um, I was, I, I, I get things easily. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. But not just getting it right. The drive to do that is yeah. different than just getting it. Because, yeah. because a lot of times when people get it. They rely on that, and then they sit back and nah, they go, oh, "I'm gonna skate through this. That nah. shit's easy." I had, I, 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 but what, but what's driving you to do that? Like that's what I'm like. What, I, what was I inside just, of you? I just wanted to be playing. Like I met Dana Dane when I was fresh out of school. Like I'm 20. I meet him. He's, he's, uh, he's performing his first record. Mm-hmm. He's performing it at Washington Irving High School. My sister went there. I DJed a talent show. He, the first time he ever performed, I'm DJing. And he goes, can you throw this record on for me? And I was like, uh, okay. Throw the record on. He performs. I'm dropping it in and out where he's rhyming. And he was just like, how did you know how to 
I was like, I don't know. I just felt through it. And I, you know, I'm sorry. Was that okay? He was like, yeah, you could be my DJ. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, I'm fresh out of school and I become this guy who has a hit record DJ right out the gate. So we're just doing shows all over the place. So I'm like clicking, but I'm also playing every goddamn club in New York City. Because I had to be playing. And you're just going. Yeah, I'm going. And then I get told I got to leave the house. My my aunt goes, you know, you should move out of here. Are you at that age? I don't even know if I'm at that age. I'm oh. 20. So maybe I was to someone. But, you know, and then I, like, at first I was like, who the fuck? But then I was just like, okay, I'll go. And I left. Where would you go? Um, four blocks up. My man, who's super tight, um, he his mother was moving to Virginia. And she just had this house and was like, um, if you can pay for it, I mean, you, you can stay here. And then I paid the, the rent, and I was staying there. And then one day she goes, well, uh, if you got this amount of money, I'll sell it to you. She didn't expect me to have that kind of money. And I just was like, yeah. And she sold it to me for dumb cheap. The house was worth like four times what I paid for it, maybe five. And I lived there. I built a studio in there. I recorded records in there. I, I, the debauchery happened in there. Everything happened in there. It was, it was a crazy time. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty lucky. But it, but it started by, you know, Danny Dane going, yo, be my DJ. I was like, bet. Went on tours, all that kind of shit. So how far did you travel with him? And where was the first place you traveled out of New York? Like First place I traveled out of New York, this is going to sound nuts, was before him, I went to Iceland. A dude came to a 80s? club that I was playing. Iceland was around in the eighties. It was Iceland in the eighties. Iceland in the eighties. But um, a guy came to the club that I was playing, and he goes, "Oh man, you're great! I'd love to have you come to my country." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> DJing was just gonna take me around the world, and I let that be the first stop. Iceland. Iceland, and I was there for seven days. I played seven days straight, and it was nuts, and. The thing that, that that got me through was what Larry LeVan told me. He said, you got to love the music. And I was like, got it. So when I went there, knowing they never heard hip-hop, I weaved hip-hop into records that I believed were great around the world. Mm. So I was teaching them about hip-hop while still having them be in love with the records that they understand. And that was purposeful. Like yeah, you thought, like you were gonna yeah. teach these people. Yeah, I knew they didn't have any to like idea hip -hop. what hip hop was. No idea, because everywhere I went, they were looking at me like, "Is that a Negro? Is Whoa. he actually a Negro?" I mean, I was counting people of color when I, when I went out there. I think I left with five. Yeah, and, and that I was, was out when? there for like that was like last year, the year right. before. I'm telling you, <laughs> when I was there, I, and it's the not like you're five two. <laughs> I was just like, this is insane and amazing at the same time. And I took my boy with me. I was I was the worst because I did not understand traveling uh, overseas to go 
DJ, I didn't understand what I should have been asking for. Nothing. I flew coach. I was fucked I up. That was <laughs> the last time I got on a coach flight. I was looking around like this is the bullshit because you you know you, you get on a coach flight. You go to Boston or New York. That's a shuttle. Is half hour. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you going from New York down to Virginia to play a homecoming? That's hour forty five to an hour. Mm. Cool, bet I could do it. Go down to Atlanta. Okay, it's an hour and a half, two hours. Cool, bet. Going to Iceland, seven hours. Coach, nah, bro. And then from that point on, I couldn't give a fuck if I was going 20 minutes away. I'm never flying a coach again. Like, it's because I just was like, this can't be life. When you're 6'4", it can't be life. <laughs> they just couldn't. And, you know, I, I, I just, I learned so much in that one trip. I, I, I learned that, yeah, you, you, you sh if, if, if someone wants you to come to their country, they're treating you like an artist. So you have to treat yourself like an artist. Mm -hmm. That means you have to have a rider. That means you have to know what you're asking for. I didn't even know where I was staying when I went there. I was just like, bet. And me and my mans is out there. Well, how did you even get the information? Who, what where, where were they sending it to? No, they were, they were, we were calling. It was going So they were just talking forth. to you. You had they to write everything down. I was writing down. shit, everything right. down. Because I was like, about to say, you don't have a fax machine. Nah, you're not getting none the None of fax. that shit is happening. <laughs> I was hyped. Like, you sent me a plane ticket, all of that good shit. I was like, oh, we got plane tickets. Yo, lefty, we got plane tickets. You know what I'm saying? Hype, carrying records. And, and, and then when you get there and you stay in at this house, and you're like, wait. How do we do anything here? Like, we just wait until we get called to go DJ somewhere. Like, how do we eat? Oh, none of that shit was was a thought. But when I got to the club, I fell right in the pocket. Well, because that's the part you knew. That's what yeah, you were that's the part. Yeah, I was comfortable. And, and then you get there, and they don't have the same DJ equipment that they used to. So you're working on a mixer that looks like it came from your childhood, but you don't give a fuck. Because you're in another country, you're DJing, and I get to go back and be like, yeah, I was in Iceland. <laughs> was Motherfuckers in Iceland. is going, where? Iceland? Iceland. <laughs> you were in Iceland? That shit sounds crazy. And it, and it was crazy. <laughs> but, but, this is how off I was about being fresh. I played at the Hard Rock Cafe three days straight. I bought a Hard, I bought a hard Rock Cafe jacket. From there, because Hard Rock Cafe jackets was this, yeah, shit. this shit back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I came back home. Especially you got different cities from where you from. No, I got wild cities. <laughs> but that was the first out of town joint that I had. So I come back. I go to the fucking Red Parrot. Couple of couple of jackets is there, and 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 mine's says Iceland, Reykjavik, Iceland. Motherfuckers is like, yo, what the, yo, what the fuck is that, yo? And I was like, what? There's yeah, there's a Hard Rock in Iceland, bro. You been out? Yes, bro. I've been to Iceland. What's really Reggie Wells, who's like, like, like a, a a celestial being when it comes to DJing. He's like, nigga, is that a Reykjavik, Iceland hard rock cafe? Yes, Reggie. Yes, you ain't been there yet. I'm gassed now because everybody's gassed off the jacket. Yeah. So I'm I'm gassed. Then I, it's funny because I, like most people who ever saw a hard rock cafe jacket saw. Either it was all leather or it was leather and wool. Mm -hmm. It's varsity jackets. Yeah, varsity. Yeah. I got a light blue suede hard rock cafe jacket from Tokyo. From the first time I went to Tokyo. 
And they had you, your size? Yes. I was smaller then. I was. I but was I mean, it's Japan, B. You've big. never been. Bruh. As an adult, you haven't been under 6'4". True. <laughs> <laughs> but the jacket fit. Yo, you don't understand. When I got back from Tokyo, the first thing that I did was go to the club. I went immediately went to the club with this Tokyo Hard Rock Cafe. Light blue suede. I could give a fuck what anybody had on that day. My fresh meter was on <laughs> 3,000. And everybody was like, is that a... My boy, Anthony Butler, who's one of my mans, mans, mans from way back in the days, he could tell you when he first came home, he was locked up. When he first came home, he was like, yo, you still got that light blue hot racket? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like dumb shit like that had me hype. I was like, you understand where I was at with it, B? He was like, man, I still got the picture, boy. I still got the picture. He got the picture because yeah. we, we took a picture because we were in the battle of the fresh guys. And we took a picture together and, and I had the jacket on. He was like, you still got that shit? And I was like, fuck no. We didn't appreciate shit when we was young. It was, what's next? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you look at, like, when MC Hammer was wearing eight ball jackets and all of that shit, I knew that's fake, B. You're wearing an eight ball jacket. Those jackets with the balls on the back, pause, those are North Beach leather jackets. Mm-hmm. You're wearing a fake. Like, I wore real North Beach leather. I'm looking at this guy like, you like these? Everybody's bugging over these shits? How about the real ones? Like that's how far gone I was with this fresh thing. Like it. <sighs> but the funny, it's like is it, when you say it, it reminds me of that movie Tag. Do you know that movie? That yes. Out, where they play tag for the rest of their life. That's crazy, and, right? Yeah. Every month, like every every mm-hmm. year, there's every year, one month. One month, yes. Right. That's what I feel like your crew is like. Like you still, you no, probably still, still like yeah, that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that we shit still never can die. talk about that shit. Hell yeah! Like it's always a game. Like you guys should, you should just, you know, you should do a ball. You should do the fresh ball, like the end. Get everybody. <laughs> on my way here, I rode here with my boy Audi and my boy um, Scar. And we in the car talking about Valley sneakers. I was like, yo, I caught the, the red ones and I caught the blue ones a couple of weeks ago. I'm showing them pictures. They're like, whoa, you got the red? Yo, when, when the fuck did the red come out? I was like, I'm not telling you <laughs> shit. But yeah, these are the red ones, B. Yo, I need those red joints. And we just talking about those times. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm explaining to them how much shit I just bought at the polo factory. When I'm telling them what it was, they were like, they had that there? I was like, yeah, B. They had that shit there. He was like, nah, B, I'm going now. Like, dude was like, drop me off. And it's on his way to, you know what I'm saying? Right now? Like, right now. like, are you there yet? Did you make it? Like, like, I mean, but he's dead serious. Like, what? You got camo, like, jeans? Yeah, like, I found camo jeans at the Polo Factory. Yeah, I'm Polo Factory store yesterday. I ain't never seen them shits before. Oh, yeah. They were hot in the car. But see, but that feeling, mm-hmm. that excitement, Yeah, I don't get that from the internet. Like, no, you can't get it from like the internet. Like, the same way. Nah, but you, the, the thing is, you can't get it from the internet because you're looking at a picture. There's no dimension to it. Like, as soon as I saw you, I was like, the jeans this motherfucker's wearing is tough. <laughs> like I can see the dimension, and the, but you've always been on it. You know what I'm saying? So when I see, like, you're one that I don't have to worry about. I'm like, Mike's <laughs> gonna be wearing something. It might not be the shirt today, but it's gonna be something. So like, I'm looking at the jeans, going, "Fuck this guy with the jeans." 
You know what I'm saying? Not the sneakers, the jeans. Like I see that shit. Like I, it, it I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a fresh addict. But it's different, yo. It's like it's, it, it's, it's hard to explain that emotion, yo. Yeah, that, we that, we we care. We care about that that the quality. We care about fabric. We care about texture. We don't care about the the liking the picture. Like, <laughs> but is that the difference then? Is it? I think more we do this more for ourselves than most people. I feel like now do it for other people. I I think, I think um what it did for us is different than what it does for these kids now. Like, it was so that we could rock it and have each other go killed it. Mm-hmm. Now it's just these kids just be like, I got it. Don't wear it. They got it. Uh, just because I have yeah, it. Just because I have it. Like you hoarding. Fuck having it. You got, what's the point of getting it if you ain't going to wear it? To say they had it and mm-hmm. then they sell it, make the money back or make more money That's so they can cool. buy more stuff. All and that then, shit is corny. But that shit is. But I, I mean, I guess to a certain extent we did it, right? In, in certain ways, right? Because there were certain places you go. Like you said, I had to go flash and go show everybody at the club. I got some. But it's like. It's more about like what I did to get that, right? Than just having it. Yeah, I'm telling you, because the, right, because oh, before you say, it, because it's like now somebody could have paid four times, five times retail mm-hmm. to have it, but we found how to get that shit for either retail or less. Oh yeah, and and I think like if you look, like I said, Hard Rock Cafe jackets were brown or black all leather jackets, and then black varsity jackets. Every time you saw a Hard Rock Cafe jacket, you knew exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. You don't know what a light blue suede one is. Yeah. So you, now you're just like, wait a minute, that's... You know, okay, Iceland, record, Reykjavik Iceland on a black one. It's like, okay, they got a Hard Rock Cafe. Okay, he went there. Cool. Wait, wait, wait. Is that light blue suede? Mm-hmm. To- Tokyo, you was in Tokyo, nigga. Yes, niggas go to Tokyo. <laughs> nah, for sure. All right, so f- this the fresh with you know showing everybody back in the day that this the natural. That's what we do, mm-hmm. right? Um, the music, everything else. When did when did like um the relationships with uh like say Big and Jay and all that kind of happen? Because there's some some of them were similar times, right? Yeah, early nineties. Right. Very early nineties, yeah. Um me and Jay and Jazzo, we knew each other from a long time before. And then um I met Damon and his cousin Darian when they had these two groups, uh, the original flavor and the feature sound that they wanted record deals for. I met them by accident. They came to see Kevin Woodley mm-hmm. at Atlantic Records. Um Darian Dash's uh, stepfather was Cecil Holmes, who used—I mean, Cecil, Cecil, who used to work at Epic Records—and Cecil was like, "Go see Kevin Woodley over here at uh, Atlantic Records and tell him about your artist." So Kevin was supposed to meet with them, and I went into the hallway, and I was like, "What are you, who y'all here to see?" And they're like, "Kevin," and I was like, "I was like, come on, I'll meet with y'all," and. I took him in an office, I met with them, I listened, and I realized that one of the guys in one of the groups was Ski. Mm. Now, I knew Ski when he was in a group called the Busy Boys. I met him when I was on tour with Dana Dane. Mm. And then I was on the radio in New York, and he had a record, and I was burning his record when I was on the radio. 
And um, I always told him, yo, if you come to New York, I'm going to give you a record deal. So now I can't go back on the word. Plus, I thought he was dope. So I was like, okay, I'll give you a record deal. And then he was like, there's Dash Entertainment. I was like, okay, so I'll give you a record deal for both of your groups. And like the next day, me and Damon became super tight. Mm. Because I was like, well, let me go learn something about you. What do I do? We, we go to Harlem. And he's like, why does everybody know you up here? And I was like, well, I went outside before. You know what I'm saying? You heard of me, like, for your whole life. Like, you think it's a, a joke? Like, when I come up here, nobody's going to. And his crew, the best out, I knew them because of the same gang. Because mm-hmm. I was cool with same gang and, you know, basketball tournaments and all that crazy stuff. So it was almost like an instant, super cool, regular, automatic fit. And the thing was, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, but they couldn't tell. They were just like, nah, he can't be from Brooklyn. <laughs> and he gets so much love up here. And he's cool, and he looks cool, and he wears cool shit. He can't be from Brooklyn. But I was like, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. People in Brooklyn do cool shit. <laughs> you know, so that was half the thing. Like, he comes to the office, and I'm cool. Then I go uptown, and everybody thinks I'm cool. So then we're, like, super tight. So we're super tight. And then um, I'm telling him, I know the best MC in the world. And he's just like, best MC? Well, it's got to be Big L. I'm like, nope. My boy Jay's best MC in the world. Best, best, by far best MC. Well, who's Jay-Z? So now I got to find Jay-Z. But the thing is, when I got my job at Atlantic Records, all I was trying to do was find Jay-Z. Oh, even before that? Yeah. Like, before that, I was trying to find him because I wanted to sign him and Jazzo first. Mm. That's the only group I ever wanted to sign was them two. So for a year and change, I was trying to find him. So this happened in the midst. And then I find him, and I'm, like, working on him, but I don't connect them. So I got Jay, and I got Jazz, and I got Sauce Money, but I don't make the connection because I'm just I'm working on this that I already got signed so I'm trying to make these records so I could sign Jay and Jazz and Sauce and all that because when I found Jay uh, Jazz I found easily and I was like you got to find Jay so I find Jay and then they were like oh yeah by the way this is our man Sauce Money and now all of them are like amazing so I'm just like okay (laughs) so now I got to work on everything let's go so but I got this other shit over here with Dame, and he's got these groups, and he's putting his music out, and whatever. And then I was like, he need to meet Jay-Z. When I introduced him to Jay, he, when I was telling him about Jay, let me say, he was just like, he's in Brooklyn, I was like, man, you know, he's telling me Big L's the best. And I'm like, okay, well, Big L's going to be the best for all them dudes. Jay-Z's the best ever. So I introduced him. I had to bring him to Jamazi Projects. He was just like, we're going to get robbed. I was like, nah, we, not everybody gets robbed in Brooklyn, Dame. He comes, <laughs> he sees Jay. Jay's wearing Air Force Ones. So he automatically thinks he's cool because now he's like, oh, he dresses like us. You're an uptown. And I was looking at him going, you fucking ass. I, I, what makes you think you're the only people who are cool? Like, like That's he, Harlem. Like, yeah, but still. But that's anyway, so. That went the way that it went, and instantly there was a thing between us that we were going to try to figure it out. And then he heard Jay and was just like, wait, 
he might be one of the best ever. And then he went out of town, did the battle with Big L, or did the tried to have the battle with Big L. Big L saw it with Jay Z and was like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna battle you, but I'll rhyme with you." You know what I'm saying? So at that point, that's when Dame was like, "Okay, yeah, he might be the best." And from that, things just progressed the way they progressed. I built a studio in my house so I could make his records because I was abusing other artists' budgets. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? like um, it would take me 12 hours to do a remix. I would ask for 24-hour lockouts. 12 hours would go on the remix, and the other 12 would go making records for Jay or Jay Sauce and Jazz or whomever. And in 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 those times, I really started to feel like, oh, okay, yeah, you're abusing somebody's budget, but you're also abusing your budget, so why don't you just build your own studio? That's when ADATs and D88s became the thing, so it made it easier to build a studio. A little bit easier, case. Yeah. It's not like, you know, downloading pirated. No, no, no. But so I, I built a studio, and it just became like a factory for everything that me and Damon and was doing we just did a lot of shit in my crib and at that point you're already obviously producing right? yeah a lot yeah yeah i got a lot of records right. out and a lot but who of, got um, you into producing um Sorry, we skipped over that part who got me into producing got me into producing kind of by accident um yes I, I did a bunch of shit with molly ma i was djing for molly ma but i was with herbie love bug mm. and i watched him make a record and watched him use the drum machine. Yeah, I saw Molly use the drum machine, but I watched um, Herbie use a drum machine, and I watched Fresh Gordon mm. use a drum machine. But Fresh Gordon was like a fucking wizard, so you couldn't really learn nothing. Like He would do shit, and it would be done in like a minute and a half, and you'd be like, what the fuck happened? Like Herb, you could see him do it, and then I learned everything, watching him make drum, make a beat. And then one day... We go to Bayside Studio, and I'm making a beat on the machine that he's... And he was like, yo, that's dope. <laughs> Let me get that sample. And then I was like, oh, shit. I must be doing something here. He was like, nah, yeah, that that's producing. And I was like, got it. Gone. And then just went? Yeah, I just started producing right after that. So what was the first track you put out? Um, First song I... That people I, heard, sorry. Spread My Wings. Was your first record? I know that sounds nuts. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. You know what? I I don't I don't want to make this sound crazy. I did two records in a space of three days. I did one on this group called Seriously Fine, and one on spread on Truth. Mm -hmm. And Seriously Fine's record, I did it first, but Truth's record came out before it. It was these two remixes. I did that, and then I did that. But the Seriously Fine remix never came out, so this would be the first record. Truth. So it's kind of it's kind of ill when you think that's your first record. Yeah. Like, you, you get a, a number one record that goes gold and then platinum. Like, how? Like, where does that... That opens a really good door. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. That's, are, that's are you already A&R at that nah, point? No, nah, I was before nah, that. It was so what year right, was that? Right that was 80... 80 something. 80 long time ago. No, 87. It was that? Or 80... It might have been 88 or... It might have been like 88. I don't know when Spermal Wings came out, but it was then. And... And, uh... <laughs> yeah. And then when did you start it? But the thing was, I was on the radio. So they yeah, were yeah. like, yeah, come remix a record. 
And it's funny because it was Merlin Bob who was like, yeah, remix this record. He goes, have you ever remixed the record? Have you ever produced the record? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, okay, we'll remix this record. I was like, bet. But that was normal for a DJ to remix a record. That was whatever. Yeah, but not the way I was remixing. I was making the record over. over. Like okay. remixing back in the days used to be you got up, you, you made it sound different with what was there. Mm-hmm. Like I produced on the record. So... It it was it was different to do remixes that way. Like Molly Ma was doing remixes that way. It was it wasn't like a bunch of us doing it like that. It's just that I was like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. Let's go. And so, all right. So then, how did you get the A&R gig? Um, right after that record, um, I was still on the radio. I, I did that record. Um, and m- Timmy Registry calls me and says, yo, um. Yeah, you, you got to do something. You know, you're on the record, you're, break, you're on the radio, you're breaking records, you're playing shit nobody's going to play, and you're changing the way radio sounds. He was like, uh, go over and see Hank at, at Epic Records. You're going to work for Hank Caldwell. And I was like, okay. I get in there. He was like, yeah, we got $40,000 a year for you. I was like, 40000 for free? Because I'm just <laughs> like, th- this is going to be for free if this is what I got to do. So... He was like, yeah. And, um, so I, I go, and four days later, Timmy calls me back. He was like, yeah, leave there. Go over and work with Merlin. And I was like, dog, you just sent me over here. And, like, they're going to pay me a lot of money. He was like, don't worry about it. Go go over to work. So I go over um, to Atlantic, and they're like, yeah. You know, Atlantic, we got East West. You're going to work between both labels. You're going to keep your ear to the streets. You're going to be doing it. And that's when I started immediately like jazz and jigs mm. so yeah and throughout all of this yo none of this doesn't sound like something you would want to do right like you've always landed in a place that seems like your sweet spot like you're like there's a home run for you <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i, I think okay okay never one day did i go yeah i'm gonna be working at a record company all i thought was i'm gonna be djing Oh, radio? Okay, yeah, I'll get on radio. But it wasn't, like, the thing for me. Like, I was on radio and then got hyped that I was on radio and then was like, this doesn't really pay that well. So I'm going to go where I'm getting paid well, and that's in the clubs and that's traveling as a DJ and being tour DJs and all of that shit. And then um, I remix this record. I make some money. It's cheap. But then after making one good record, all you got to do is make one good record. Like you're, when somebody comes to you, instead of saying, hey, I got 2500 for you to remix this record, they're going, hey, I got 15000 for you to remix this record. And I'm going, if you can say you have 15000 for me this record, <laughs> for, to do this record, you really got like thirty. So I would go, nah. And they would be like, well, and like, uh, 20. Oh, okay. And then when you do another good record, it's like, Oh, I get it now. So I got it quick. So by the time I was on the third record that I'm remixing, in one record I'm making more than I'm making all year working at Atlantic Records. So the thing that was so exciting about making the record was I'm going to make where people get to play. Mm. That's the shit. Because now I can... But then... Some shit happens to me 
and I can't play records that I make. Rappers. I just don't know why I can't do it. Like, these oh, you literally? I thought you meant something I actually happened. You just you yeah, won't like, play I, the records. I can't play records so that wait. I make. I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> You've the never only re- the only record that I can play that I made, and I'm like comfortable Brooklyn playing Finest? it. Huh? Brooklyn Finest. Yeah, but not even that. More than Players Anthem. Mm. Players Anthem, I could play. At yeah, like yeah, let's go. And Brooklyn's Finest, I'm a little like. Eh. Really? Yeah, I I know it sounds fucking up. I yo for real, the, for the life of me, I can't put the Kanye record on. But as excited as you just got when you said I can make the records that the DJs play. Think about this: when you're making it and making it and making it, that's time. Once the time goes away, it takes two, three months for the record to really happen. You've already had it for too long. I mean, yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, 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 I'm not saying that that's a good answer. I'm not saying that it's the but it's answer, your answer that you, but it's it's just the way it happened for me. It's nuts, man. I don't know. Is there a sneaker you've done that you can't wear? Practically all of them. You can't wear them? <laughs> <laughs> I wore the Got That Whites once, and I'm and I gave them away here is it maybe it's that you it keeps you creative is that what it is it's like it keeps you make wanting to make something new i don't want it's it's gonna sound nuts but i feel not i feel i believe okay a lot of people will look at me and confuse cocky for my confidence mm-hmm. my confidence mm-hmm. is in a place for a real reason you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying if, if there's anybody who tries to deny that i put the work in to be where i'm at they'd, they'd sound dumb so i'm confident i'm not cocky it's just that it can be confused so when i look at the fact that i'm gonna put on these sneakers i made i'm my 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 whole brain goes that's cocky is that cocky <laughs> you know what i'm saying so i just i just can't seem to do it. Like, I went to a party. Just Blaze did a set. He ran through thirty records he did, and I was like, "Damn, he killed that." Mm-hmm. I was going, "I'm a, nah, I'm not doing that shit. I'm not playing the records I made." So the one time I go to Japan, and on the flyer, it's the <laughs> first time. It's the first time ever on a flyer that they put the records I made. Like, on the back, my bio was there, and they put the records. I mean, they had, like, a discography. It was, like, 150 records on the back. And I was like, fuck. I forgot that I did have the (laughs) records, right? So now I'm in the party that I play all the time. I murder this shit. But now they're just like, "Eh, yeah, okay. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I turn to my man, and I'm like, yo, what the fuck is going on, dog? I murder this party every year. He's like, yeah, but, you know. I was like, what? He's like, your songs. And I was like, what about them? He was like, they on flyer. And I was like, so? He was like, people love your songs. <laughs> and I was like, so what? He was like, you on flyer. It's I like was like, performing. so what? And he was like, you have to play. Play your songs. And I was like, no. And he was like, Yes. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm not playing. He was like, yes, play any of your songs. 
first song I went on, put on, motherfuckers went crazy. I was just like, no. I was playing all kinds of obscure shit that I did. And they were like, yes. I was like, no. And this shit made me feel like even more weird than I already was feeling that I had to play the songs. But I noticed that because they knew them and they knew that it was me, like I had to play it. Like in Japan, there's record stores that have the DJ Clarkson section. You don't put that shit together when you're looking at it. Mm. You're just looking through it and you're like, wait a minute, that shit says DJ Clark Kent. That's crazy. How do they have the, all the records? So now when you meet a DJ, they're going, you're DJ Clark Kent. Yeah. We have all of your records. And I'm going, I'm not even caring. I'm thinking, like, do you have the last one? Do you have the last one I made? Like, <laughs> do you? And they're looking at me like, no, I have the first to the last one. Play them. Like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I I guess they look at it like an artist not performing right. their record. Exactly. That's what it looked like to them. And I'm telling you, every, every time since then, I was like, do not put the records I made on the flyer. Don't, don't, don't put it on the flyer. I, I know it sounds nuts, but. I know, because I'm like, I'm like, they're your records. Yeah, they're my records. And it's part of, 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 of my life. But. I learned a long time not to live off of what I've done. It's about what you're doing. But that's what I'm saying. So I think that's something internally in you right. that keeps you motivated. Right. That she I wanna, keeps you. I want to keep going. Yeah. Like, I don't look at. Oh, you're only sneakers. as good as you. Right. I, but I, okay. I've done a lot of sneakers. I think one of the best I've done is got that white. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to kill that. Like, because I, I can't sit around and just be like, yeah, that's the best. Nah, there's got to be something better. There's got to be another level. There's, I got to do, I got to keep doing it. Like, I don't, I can't relax. Which is passion. Yeah. Right? For sure. And passion comes from love. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? And you love what you do. I do. Have, have you ever worked a day in your life? Nah. Like, I don't think you have. Oh, you know? you know what I did? You did? I think I was like, uh -oh. it was the summer when I was 14, I was a messenger at, at a law firm. Mm. I was wild. Because back then, back then, law firms used to send cash to banks. Mm -hmm. And the messengers had to take the cash to banks. Yeah. I was the wrong messenger. <laughs> I was terrible. I... I yeah. But all right, but how did <laughs> how did those types of things, right? Cuz look. Cuz look. Guns in schools. Mm -hmm. Opportunities and all kinds of other things you could have been in the streets. Mm. Right? Did that. Been there, did that. But but you never fell all the way. No. Right? Mm -mm. So what kept you out of that? Um Cuz that's an easy uh, like you could have easily been one of the D-boys. Mhm. Mm easy. Easy. Right? And never wanted to play a record again. You could have been the dude paying the DJs to play the records. For sure. For sure. I I love the music too much. I care about music in a way that that's. But you could have bought all the music you want with, yeah, any D with all the D boy is, money. It's different, but I care about it. So like I'm 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 responsible to it. So I I don't look at music like it's just thing that that's just out there, because I actually have to play it. So. Every record that gets made, there's going to be a lot of them that's really bad. I still try to figure out why they get made. 
So, like, another DJ is not going to give a fuck. He's just going to be like, shit's terrible, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to it and try to figure out why did it get made, where did they go wrong, and if or should I say something about it? Is there really talent there? I, I, I can't help it. I listen. I listen. Music is everything. Yeah, the crazy thing is I could do, like, a bazillion episodes with you and we'll never get through everything. <laughs> like, like I feel like we haven't even got into much yet. Like, we've talked about a ton, but we haven't even got to a point where, especially the shit people know you for now. Right. Like, we haven't even got to that point yet. Like, that shit bugs me out. Um, let's at least get to part of the 90s, yo. Mm. Um, like, I moved out here in 92. Mm-hmm. When was Superman born? And Honestly, why? the Superman was born, it had to be mid-80s because Scratches were my block. Mm-hmm. And we DJed together. Like, and we we worked out together. Like, we we trained together. Like, we were fucking twins at one point. Mm. Like, when Scratch won the DJ battle for World Supremacy, people really thought he was my little brother. Like, mm. they thought that because whenever somebody said, who's Scratch? Oh, that's Clark's brother. Whenever somebody said, yo, Clark, who's Scratch? Oh, that's my little brother. And they thought we were brothers until we had to go, no, well, I mean, like, he's my brother. <laughs> but he's <laughs> from my block, so we were dumb tight. Like, remember the guy I told you about on the block who had a DJ set who wouldn't let us touch it? Like, we stole his turntables. Like, he stole his turntables. His, br- his brother stole his turntables. We would be... He lived next door to the dude. We'd be next door playing <laughs> his turntables because he wouldn't let us play his set. Like, yeah, well, fuck y'all. Fuck you for not letting us on. We're going to make sure you can't DJ. No and, and, and children, that's the Brooklyn way. Yeah. <laughs> well, the old that, Brooklyn way. That story just <laughs> rolled off, didn't it? <laughs> I didn't even hesitate with that one. <laughs> Woo. In 1977, I stole my first set of turntables. That was the blackout. That was the blackout. Yeah, I mean, everybody stole something. Right. I stole turntables. It came in this console, rolled it back to my crib. It, I'm 11. I'm 10 or 11. It's 77. I got a DJ set. I don't have nothing to play on. No speakers, no amps, but I got a DJ set. That shit was sitting around getting dusty until I was like 14. Uh, like, I mean, 13. shit. Arguably, that was when the DJ was born, right? Especially in hip-hop. Shh. Like you know, without the blackout. I had my own shit, but I was DJing from before. I just had my own shit now, just nothing to play it on. Yeah. It was nuts. <laughs> but I remember Superman moving to New York and going to New Music Seminar. Yep. And going to see those battles. And some of the fondest memories, though, was uh, the, uh, the MC battles, mm-hmm. which went off in there between uh, Craig G and Super Nat. It's funny because the one between Craig G and Supernat wasn't a new music seminar battle. Oh, that, that was wasn't a, that was just oh. an extra battle that happened, I guess, because they was popping shit to each other. Supernatural the day before had won the new music seminar against Mad Skills. Mm-hmm. So uh. the, the next day, I guess Craig G might have approached them, and it went down. And whew. yeah, like I remember all those times. I remember seeing you in the, the jacket and all that shit this mm-hmm. before I knew you. Right, that jacket was the first P and B collab. Were first PNB collab ever was my. my I think I ever knew that was PNB. It's a PNB jacket. The crown's on the arm. <laughs> I thought the crown just had to do with. No, um, no, no, no. 
that was their crown. Wow. And and on the sleeve is a TMV with the circle with the arrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine how long I've known Supreme. I mean, <laughs> well, Supreme before Supreme. Yeah, before Supreme. Uh, I mean, actually, one of my favorite case studies. Right. Ill, how all three of them are like super important. Yeah, but I just love but I love that. But just but Supreme also as a case study is crazy. Yeah, that's nuts too. Like that's 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 going to the penthouse. True. You know what I'm saying? That's true. <laughs> right? That's that to me shows where where we start, where you was really like the streets mm-hmm. and what's an older brand than Louis Vuitton? Can we name one? Older, I don't know. Older than Louis Vuitton. I can't personally name another older brand than Louis Vuitton. This is well known. Nah, I, c- I can't. Right? Just off the top of my head, no. And and you're talking about the fashion house, mm-hmm. right? Luxury. Never for us. Right. Right? It was never, bo- like, you know, made for us. Mm-hmm. They're way up there, and then they came down here to fuck with Supreme. And then now they had to go down here to pull up a creative director mm-hmm. because they know where we're at is the influence. I know you for like sure. that word. We're the influence, period. And they need a guide now. That puts us in a whole different light. For sure. And so without putting our full conversation on blast, I think that gives you an opportunity to do what you said you've been doing. Right. That's what, So like how hip-hop has changed that, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. now they can take you and you can sample whatever you want, wherever you want. Right. You right? can, yep. A- and do those things. Agreed. Right? Agreed. We lucky. Like, did you ever <laughs> think hip-hop would go, like, like Biggie's words, right? Did you ever yep. think hip-hop would take it this far? Yep. You did? did? Yeah, because I didn't look at look at it like it was music. It's not music. Oh, it's definitely not music. It's culture. It's culture, 100%. A, a culture is a way of life, and because it's a way of life, I didn't expect anything to slow down. It, the cult, cultures grow, and I'm from the culture. So I can't look at it. Now, you are. Like, true. Like <laughs> but, but what I mean is, like, it's a way of life for me, mm-hmm. like, so that doesn't go away. That doesn't die. Yep. And if my kids are going to grow up, growing up with a father who that's a way of life, like they, they're just going to inherently get this thing that yep. we have. And then everything starts branching off from this thing, and the world starts damn near becoming a part of this thing that we started. I mean... Like it's becoming it's a part. It like is. Well, what I mean is, we we, we it, it can't it can't go away. They could try. They could try How? to do all kinds of things, but it can't go away. And the thing is, the 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 more we keep having it be something that's bred from the youth, the more different it's going to keep getting. So it's just going to keep getting wilder and bigger and more extravagant. Like there's no reason that. DJ Clark Kent should have remixed the corn record or mm. remixed the Limp Biscuit record. Like it, j- it kind of like doesn't even make sense. But in the grand scheme of things, it does because hip hop borrowed from all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. I mean, rap music borrowed from all kinds of music. Like the DJs were cutting up rock records yep. to make breaks for MCs to rap to. So why can't I go back and fix a rock record if I wanted to? Hundred percent. Yeah. So I mean, this thing is not gonna slow down. Um, it, it's it's not gonna slow down at all. Like, but then that's the crazy part, right? But mm-hmm. again, I didn't know. I had no clue when I moved out here. 
Like right. I was told in 92, enjoy it while it lasts. It's not real music. It's a fad. They weren't smart. Right? But but they... No vision. But they was almost everybody. Even people that were in it. Because like, we didn't have... There was nothing before us to say this is how it's done and this is where it's going. You know what's crazy? I think the people from the outside, if 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 they didn't understand the music itself, if they didn't understand the music that represents the culture, they would look at it and go, "It's gonna go away." But I understood it. Like I, I knew that that this is, it's not just somebody's record. It's you see the way he wears his hat. You see the way he. Wears his jeans. You see the way he laces his sneakers. That that attitude that's attached to it is a thing that's just gonna keep going. Like and and like you have to understand because things make things cool. This shit just keeps getting cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler. You can't fuck up cool shit. You could try. You gonna have people who are gonna be out there trying to figure it out, and they're gonna fuck up some cool shit. But real cool shit just keeps getting cooler and cooler. And cooler, and and I feel like actually you said it feels like it gets not wider, but it only wider is the right word, but broader, right? And what cool can be is because we start adopting new things and different things sure. and reinterpreting for reinterpreting sure. them and then appropriating them for ourselves mm-hmm. in our culture. Absolutely, but it can't happen the reverse. Nah, like that's why I'm happy. That's the one thing I do love about the internet, yo. How the internet got at Gucci, mm-hmm. and then Steve jumped in, like mm-hmm. that was beautiful. That part I love the internet. Right, because it wouldn't allow them to reappropriate what we do. Right, and now we have the power and the influence to be able to stop that shit. But when we looked at Hammer back in the day, and he's fucking flying around in Taco Bell commercials, that was a sellout. But now we look at it. You know what's funny? It's a sellout for the people who thought that. Like I look at people who, who. Music is entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hip-hop is real, son. Cool. But, <laughs> but music is entertainment. Hip-hop is a culture. It's not music. Rap is the music that lives within the culture of hip-hop. So mm-hmm. rap is entertainment, too. So the rapper who makes this amazing record, all of a sudden, he the world loves him. So brands know that when somebody's loved, you attach yourself to it. Mm-hmm. The, how is that guy a sellout for doing a commercial when what he does is what he's doing to take care of himself? That's just another avenue. That's not doesn't make you a sellout. So the people who are looking at it like it's a sellout, they're just probably unhappy that it didn't happen for them. Because do you think you could find a rapper who was doing okay at that time who wouldn't have done a Taco Bell commercial? Nope. That money, they taking it. You know why? Because their record deal wasn't paying them em- enough. True, but then I mean, but I feel like not the culture, but a lot of people, even artists, mm-hmm. was against that, right? Yeah, because they was ho- trying to hold on to shit. No, because they don't have a real perception of what real is. Like you don't become a rapper so that you can stay living in the projects. But that's keeping it real, no? No, <laughs> keeping it real means you want to get out. I don't know anybody who's trapping to stay. I don't know anybody who hustles to live in the projects. I know people who hustle to get out of the projects. I don't know anybody making records who's like, yeah, I'm going to get this paper up and I'm going to do the LS decorating job on my crib on the third floor in Marquee Houses. Nobody. 
they're doing it to get out. And if you're not, then don't fucking waste your time. You don't, who, like, why do you want a record deal? If that's the case, never try to get a record deal. Never put your record out for financial gain. Then I'll believe you. But you want to make money. Why you want to make money? Because you saw somebody make money doing this thing. That's entertainment. True. So that's the same thing with people talking about ghostwriting. Mm-hmm. Ghostwriters, right? Raps, first real record mm-hmm. was Rapper's Delight. Yep. Half of the record was written by Grandmaster Cash. The first rap record was ghost written. Yep. Fuck is everybody beefing about? It's entertainment. It's not MCing. It's entertainment. It's rapping. I think because <laughs> because rap is a contact sport. That's why. And you're supposed to be somewhat talking about yourself. It's kind of like, how can somebody else make records of you talk about you and then somebody else writing it? But some of the stuff was secretive, right? A lot of people didn't know those facts. Yeah, until but when. regardless of what, it's the fact. But the sheep, but the sheep ain't going to look for the facts. The sheep is just going to follow what the next people are cool. saying. So then we have people saying that there's something wrong with ghostwriting. Be clear. I'm not advocating for ghostwriting because I think the shit is terrible. If you were MC, I come from the era of it's a contact sport, motherfucker. You better get busy. But yep. I proved it by showing you, look who this guy is. Yep. Nothing in the world would make him take a rap from somebody else. And he stood next to one of the best MCs ever himself. He was he rhymed back to back with Jazz O. Jazz O is fucking untouchable. Yep. He could have took raps from that guy. Nah, I'm not taking no raps from him. I'm gonna rap better. I'm gonna do my best to rap as good or better than you. That's contact sport. Being an MC. There's too many rappers in the in the in the rap game and not enough MCs. Those rappers end up getting shit ghostwritten for them. Mm-hmm. No MC is getting anything ghostwritten. No, not at all. Right. So let's get to the MCing. That's a totally another podcast that we can go yeah, on that's for a two hours. Podcast. We're not even. Yeah, we won't even. We won't even get into that yeah. one, man. Um, where else are we gonna go, man? Biggie. I right? didn't touch on Biggie. Let's touch on Big pause, and then a couple other things. But Biggie, man, when did when did that happen? So, uh, I knew Biggie since 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 he was like eighteen, nineteen. Like before, yeah. Um, because the whole hood was talking about him and uninjustice dudes. I ran the streets for, so you heard about him. But when he got his deal, and he was signing Bad Boy, and you know Puff was my man. Was I know Puff since he was a kid, and and Mark Pitts was from my neighborhood. Helped grow him up. Um, when it became time for him to have to do shows, they were like, "Uh, you're going out with Clark." Clark, come in, sit down, create a show for him. I'm going to be a DJ. This is the way it's going to go down. We go out on the road. And from day one, the thing that made our relationship special was the fact that he actually was willing to listen to what I was telling him about going on the road and performing. You have to understand, like, I knew Biggie from before that. When he was making the records, we'd be in Scarsdale at Puff's house, and he was making records up there. And the day Craig Mack made... Um, um, flavor in your ear. We were all like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is about to happen? But 
we're in Scarsdale and Puss Crib and Biggie's there and there's, there's there's all kinds of shit that's about to be happening. But you know, you don't know. One day they're gonna be like, Clark, go out with with Big. We're just all mm-hmm. chilling. And he's he's busy with a record trying to make sure somebody put. He's. I love it when you call Big Papa the Ghost Rapper. He, that's the biggie. That uh, uh, party and bullshit. Uh, rhyming on 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 Mary shit. Like that's that's the kid that that we was around. And then it was like you're gonna, you gotta take him on the road. You gotta mold him. And he's willing to go. Okay, what are we doing? Oh, you're gonna be incredible, just because of that. Just because you you you're you're willing to hear it. Because there's people who don't want to hear it. You, you can get with artists who believe themselves so much they're not trying to hear it. But he was trying to hear it. So I think, like, after the first day of us trying to figure out a show, he became super tight. And he was my man from that point. But I also had this, this up, my other mans mm-hmm. over here who I was in the studio with for every other day. So it was super duper cool on this side. We're going to do shows. We're going to do whatever. Then he started asking for records. When he started asking for records, that's when it was like, but I got to do. Mm. <laughs> conflict. Yeah, it was a conflict. But um, whatever Jay or Sauce didn't want, the world could have. So it's like, if they didn't want it, then anybody else could hear it. So I know it sounds ill, but <laughs> he got whatever he wanted after Jay... Or Sauce didn't want it. So Player's Anthem was passed over by Jay and Sauce. Sky's the Limit was passed over by Jay and Sauce. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Everything that's on Junior Mafia was passed over by Jay and Sauce. Yeah. That's crazy, yo. So yeah. then, then you, damn, yo. That's nuts, man. <laughs> the thought of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so many more things I want to talk about, but we got to we gotta dip out of this it's one, part man. Part two, B. Let no, me it's, know. It's, it's definitely going to be a part two, man. It'll be part three, part four, part five. Like I said, man, we could probably do this for fucking 24 hours straight and still oh, not cover shit. everything. Oh, shit. Let's go. <laughs> but thank you, man, for being here, man. God's thank you. Favorite. Thank you for, for, for taking a moment to ask different shit. Because I've yeah. done so many interviews and, 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 and stuff. And, like, people, it, they want to touch on things, but it's paused. It's like they want to touch on it all the same way. And I'm just like. Yo, could you put a twist on it, B? Yeah, because yeah. it's about the moment. I think most people, when they do interviews, it's about what's happening right now. Mm. And there's enough of that. I think that's always going to be out there. There's always going to be something new. Like you said, you once you finish a project, you're on to the next. Yeah, for sure. Right? 100%. And so that, a lot of the times when you get these interviews done, you're already past what they're talking to you about. Right? Like you, like you said, it's just like playing a record. I don't want to play that shit. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I just did that sneak. I did that shit eight months ago. And we're going to talk about it now? Now you want to talk about it? Yeah. I'm already trying to do these 10 other joints, right? Yeah. So this is more about who we are, who you are, right? right? Because I think when people listen, they're going to hear your trajectory and your, your journey. And they may say, well, yo, there was such and such around me. I didn't listen to that person. Right. Or maybe I should have. Or maybe there's some other things I can learn and pick up along the way. And that's what this is about, man. This is about the people. This isn't about the shit that we do. It's about who we are. You know what I mean? I appreciate it. We out, man. Remember, you can't heal what you don't reveal. We'll see y'all in the next one.